I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This DevOps Lunch and Learn session was about continuous infrastructure automation. So the idea that when we build out applications on infrastructure, we don't treat them as a static deployment, but as something that is constantly evolving and growing and changing. There's a lot of technology and challenge in building that. And we firmly believe uh, that this is the right path. This is the future. It's what we have to do. But the path to get there is challenging. There's a lot of components that have to be considered. Everything from artificial intelligence or machine learning to how to manage and control and standardize the automation that does all that work. And so we, we really dig in on these topics. I think you'll really enjoy our discussion. Um, I think that a lot of edge conversations don't really talk enough about how the network works with it. Yeah, and exactly. Of course, as a telecom person, I am acutely aware of just how stitched together it is. That's beautiful. Yes. Okay. So I'll be happy to talk about some of the, you know, and and I would love to also hear the del- the telecom perspective on the the whole mesh thing because mm. you know a lot of these. You get industrial IoT coming from the bottom up and you got the telcos coming from the top down and seeing what they both think about uh, mesh and things like that and seeing where they actually coincide and where they clash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I like to know that kind of stuff. It's really useful. It's called I, holes. <laughs> yeah, there are Sometimes definitely holes. Like holes. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to look at barriers to um, <coughs> barriers to adoption or barriers to, uh, and so that's a, that. This is enough to frame out an edge networking conversation. Oh, that or, easily. Oh, yeah. You could spend an entire afternoon on that conversation. Uh, <laughs> Maybe one yes. day we will. With since we do a con conference like once or twice a year that would be great (laughs) there's one coming up for open infrastructure a whole bunch of these topics all right um but i'm gonna transition this over to topic of the day if we can um get rolling on continuous infrastructure automation uh which is a ter- near and dear to my heart, although I, I don't know that everybody is, knows what it means. So I think part of what we want to do is talk about, about that. Um, I'm going back to some of what I've seen from Gartner, where they, they, are, they define uh, infrastructure uh, pipeline and continuous infrastructure pipelines. But the idea being we're building automation that is constantly evaluating the infrastructure. Right. So it's it's in a state where as things move and drift, change or get ops in some cases here where you're you're making like, oh, I want I want 10 machines instead of five. Those changes are going to be automatically incorporated and then propagated through the system. Are um, that, that's sort of my understanding I, as a starting point. I'd, I'd love to hear other people's what, what the phrase means to other people. Mm-hmm. So, 
Uh, I have a trouble with the continuous part of it. So, you know, I understand CICD, right? And CICD in the in the cloud world makes a whole lot of sense because the infrastructure actually doesn't change very often in the cloud world underneath. It, right. you know, you're constantly changing the apps and you're constantly adding, you know, VMs or containers or whatever, you know, and that's all elastic. But there's actually a fair amount of consistency to the platform that's underneath. Uh, you know, Amazon doesn't go around swapping out hardware all the time. Um, and in uh, the in the hypervisor, you know, that doesn't change very often. Uh, you know, they tweak it. So, you know, what does it mean to be able to change the infrastructure all the time? If that's even possible. Well, um, part of well, part of my assumption here is that this is all that includes cloud. It's not just a physical layer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You have to right because uh, the physical I'm, layer you can't change right off for obvious reasons. Um, uh, so to your question, like it, it's not so much about changing it all the time, uh, and, and this this is where the, the the third item in the list reconciliation comes uh, um, becomes more important is that you have a certain state that you want to maintain, but you know that your infrastructure is not infallible. Uh, you hypervisors die and, and some of your VMs might need to be recreated or uh, you, you have uh, you use uh, uh, preemptible instances or something like that and you want to maintain a certain baseline. Um, so that's that's where the continuous part comes into place. Is that you define, you declare, you say, I want to have this infrastructure as a baseline, and if it, if the reality drifts from what I want to have, make it happen so that it it matches again. So, so it, it's it's more about. Uh, amending rot to a, to a certain degree. Does continuous auto infrastructure automation include the elasticity, the, the elasticity function? I, that's one of the goals. Oh, okay, so that so that makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah. So one of the big things that uh, going back to a previous week's conversation, I would think would be important for continuous infrastructure automation is uh, updating and replacing certificates. Yes. On not only as an as needed, but an emergency basis. Well, don't you want that proactively? I mean, how many times have, you know, some, some application come crashing down in the middle of the night because somebody forgot to, you know. Yes. <laughs> so you want the, the, as as needed, like for expiration and stuff, but you also want the emergency when something gets compromised and everything has to change now. But mm. the regular one, both both checking and and actually it's not just replacing certificates, but generating new certificates. And so that's, for me, that's a big ish, issue with preventing drifting because that, that would prevent uh, increasing fragility, or as Klaus would say, bit rot. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and actually, certain uh, rugby is, is a very, very good, uh, good example of things that could be automated that, but in many times are not, um, because certs don't usually don't change all that often. Um, like you, you, you get a new cert every year, on, unless right. you're using Acme, in which case you're already drinking the the automation Kool Aid. Yeah. Um, so so yeah so when it when it comes around to do to, to um, automating things uh typically what what you see is you you start automating the pain points and uh but when it comes to cert management if if it's once a year uh it it, it might be you might say say to yourself well, I'll, I'll I'll do it manually this time, and, and next time I'll, I'll for sure I'll, I'll automate it, <laughs> and then next time there, there's some other priorities, so so you end up not doing it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. Well, some in some cases, my my experience with this is that the tool chains that people are using are not designed to be hooked together in a in an ongoing basis, right? It's mm. you know. So, but let me step back because one of the things plus uh, that you were saying, I'm going to stop my share so I can actually easily. Thank you. Who's talking? Um, the 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 thing that I'm seeing here is I think there's a, a a stance, an automation stance, which is like manual's bad anyway. Automated is okay, but if you're not, you know, continually reproving all of your infrastructure then you actually are at a disadvantage, right? The systems, especially with immutable deployments and, and rolling upgrades, they should be in a in a you know constantly rolling state for the for your your infrastructure. Yep. And and, and that's the that's the next part also that um, I consider chaos engineering part of mm. of, of automation. Because what you're what you're testing there is is not, or what you're ensuring there is not only that your infrastructure matches what you declare, but also that what you declare is still compatible with the APIs that you're using. Because that is an, an actually an, an an actual problem as well. Like. Terraform, like before version one, used to be pretty bad at this. That you could write something for Terraform, say version zero point twelve, and then a, uh, a module gets updated to, to and only works for with zero point thirteen. And until you actually redeploy it, you don't know about it. Right. That's and right. then everything. No, and, and then it, and then it rewrites your infrastructure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, not a good idea. <laughs> yeah well that's but there that that to me that wasn't thought even though it's designed to be repeated apply 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 it, it wasn't really designed as a continuous infrastructure automation system from that perspective because it's it's not just about provisioning it's actually about coordinating and this this is where the orchestration question comes into me on on the list it's like all right if i'm going to do a continuous infrastructure automation system just rolling out machines doesn't help you. You actually do want to, you know, drain them conceivably. And maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it. Drain. No, no, you're not. You're not. Okay. So let me give you some examples. Um, so first of all, probably the closest we have to continuous 
automation is security, right? Security, um, you know, firewalls or whatever, you know, are constantly updating, right? Anti-malware or whatever, you know, it's, it's continuous, right? Um, And it's seamless, right? You just, it just happens in the background. Um, And uh, much as we would like it to happen like that in the network side, it doesn't actually happen in the network side. And um, that actually is a problem, right? Because it introduces security, security vulnerabilities, zero day exploits, et cetera. Um, I would actually add an amendment to that. And, and I would say that reporting insecurity has been automated. Acting on those reports is still very much a work in progress. Yeah, I was thinking of the anti-malware stuff, which, you know, I don't know every time you turn on your computer, it's just kind of running in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Occasionally it asks you to reboot, but usually it just does its thing. <laughs> but you're right. Firewalls are not firewalls act more like routers in that in that regard that it's not it's not as automated as it ought to be. Or or you might be running a a seam and and you scan your network and you uh and you and you scan your machines and what's deployed, but uh yeah, software upgrades are still I like tossing the ball over the fence to to operations from security in many cases. Um, firewall management, yeah, it is, it, it's, it's a mix, I find. I guess in some cases, like traffic, there's some machine learning there that, that automatically blocks traffic. In other cases, it's, it just fire off, fires off an alert. Uh, there's still a... And, and I will say, like it, it, it's not invalid, but but there's still a a, a big desire in, in in the community to to have human supervision to to these systems, which of course flies mm-hmm. in, in the way of, of of automation. Right. It, it, it's hard to uh to do basically yeah 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 it, it's it's hard to do to give up control uh, on. I experienced that when when I started working with Kubernetes, like it 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 I was actively hostile to it in, initially, uh, and then and then something finally clicked and I was like, okay, I can give up this control, but and and that is fine because there are other things that I control that that are much closer to that what I want to to be involved with. Is there to me? There's a degree of transparency in in that there's there's a transparency contract there. It's like AI, where if you don't know how the algorithm's behaving at all, it's much harder to trust that it's you know, working correctly. Yes, um, yeah. Clear boundaries on on domain specific automation uh, are much easier hmm. to uh, to swallow than black box automation. Right. Well, on that topic of AI, actually, I'm working right now on some AI stuff. And in fact, there's way too much reliance on black box algorithms without understanding what they're actually doing. And, and you know, it's garbage in, garbage out, right? And you're here. <laughs> so you got to start simple. You got to start where 
you know the the answer and if the ai algorithm does not return it then there's something wrong with the ai algorithm but huh. I, something I, I, go ahead i was gonna say like i, I think I think part of the problem is that with, with the AI is that the when you attempt to commercialize AI or or or, or turn it into a product, the algorithm is usually your proprietary design. So making it open uh, becomes difficult. Not impossible, I would say, but difficult. Um. Well. So um, you probably don't know this, but um, I've uh, started working on a project um, with the uh, Anakit uh, called uh, Bog, which is AI, some AI work. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the big gap right now is a valid data set. Yes, yes, that's, yes. that's a big issue. I, uh, um, I agree. So the algorithm could be fine, but if you if your training data is is <laughs> biased, you end up with bad results. And that that is known. I mean, there's yep. there's um, you know MIT published some really interesting things not not on a on in, in networking AI, but it applies to face recognition. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's going to apply to networking too. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's it's a common issue across all fields of AI, and uh, um, that that's largely also why there's um, at least in academia so many AI competitions that where they essentially generate a, a new set every year uh, to to retest their their algorithms and and, and rank them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Do is AI necessary for the continuous infrastructure automation piece? Like, I hope. Actually, I guess I'm hoping not. Um, I would think it's rather optimization than something that would be necessary for automation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I would I would say AI is not necessary. There there might be border case borderline cases where. It might be necessary. Um, it's arguable as to whether, or debatable as to whether AI even provides much benefit. As we were talking before, uh, mm. it, it, it is much much easier to adopt an, an automation system if it's not a black box. And, and, and unfortunately, AI is too, too many is a black box. Uh, even if it if it's if it's an open algorithm, it might be too complex to for for someone to review independently. Um, I I would I the way I've usually approached AI and and automation together is like you need to have like reliable automation paths through your system, right? You need to know that that this you run this automation it produces this result, it does it reliably, you know, it can rotate the certificates, it can do all that work. That is not to me AI work. That it's not, is no, I agree. Good, good old ops work. And then the AI comes in to say, I need to know 
like analyze the cluster and tell me if I'm under-resourced or over-resourced, or is there a pattern of behavior that I need to see? And then, and then ideally you're then plumbing standard, right? Oh yeah, here is the, the switch. And I'm just eliminating the human from the switch as proper safeguards about taking the actions. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even call that AI. I would call it machine learning. Machine learning, right. Yeah. Well, it gets it gets gray. Well, what's what's machine learning? What's AI? But right. But machine uh, learning is AI. It's just that it's established <laughs> enough that it no longer has the moniker. Uh, the from way back when, anything is AI until it's actually established enough that its specific niche in AI gets its own name and gets used with that name. Uh, like I, expert I, systems was. AI until they became expert systems. Machine learning was AI until it became machine learning. I, I, I would put it the other way around. Uh, machine learning is a um, is, is, is a building block of AI. It's a, yeah, it's a precursor or building block. Right? right. And we don't have AI today either, though. It's just that what we're calling AI is yet another building block. It's neural well, networks at this moment. Well, it, it depends on neural net learning. It, it, I, I think that the problem is that we're looking at, at AI as a, as a specific technology, and that's not what it is. AI, yes, right. at least in the academic sense, is the application of technology, of certain technologies, which doesn't need to be specific technologies, but the, the application of those towards uh, a goal of... Um, Again, artificial intelligence. Uh, it, it 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 it's not it's not it's not a particular tool, uh, and, um, but unfortunately, that is that is what what popular is is considered AI. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't even need to be uh, general AI. It, it can be very domain specific, but it, it's more AI is more the algorithm than than the than the method of implementing it. We, we don't need a DevOps tool that can pass the Turing test, right? So, <laughs> no, 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 no. So, but in, I, I just don't see how, how you're going to, you know, with the projections of the amount of devices that are going to be managed, how we can't do it without ML, right? It just seems so, like manual hmm. to be able to. Finish. So, Klaus, I think that. Automation doesn't need AI, but AI needs automation. Yes. Yes. That's a good way to say it. Um, and AI, uh, my experience with AI, and, and I worked on, um, on speech recognition uh, years ago, and everybody thought we'd be able to use neural nets and blah, 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 and intelligent net algorithms, et cetera. The speed, the computer speech recognition problem was solved as I call brute force. They just recorded hundreds and thousands of hours of people talking and then analyzed it. And I can right away see the problem with that. That's well, how they training. Solved, <laughs> well, that could be, but that's how they solved um, language. I mean, that's how Google Translate works. They just threw millions of documents at it. And that's exactly, um, just an MIT Tech Review just published another article about how uh, speech recognition doesn't encompass the black world. So essentially south of the equator, 
and uh, languages and, and countries in those areas. And that's because Google didn't have any need to solve it for those guys at the time they solved it. Yeah. So the translate. Well, yeah. speech recognition, um, I, I, I assume it's approved now, but when I was working on it, and this is back in the early 90s, um, it didn't even work for women because <laughs> most yeah. of the speech yeah. that was recorded was men because it was the engineers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so it was educated men. That's correct. Although um, the VP at the company, Steve Rothman, um, was heartbroken by the fact that he had a very, very thick Bronx accent and it did not understand him at all. Yes. And that's actually a, a, in some ways a symptom of education is that you will find that as folks go up the education tree, uh, their accents in the U.S. at least, tend to uh, reduce the higher up on the tree they go. Mm. And so accented language, uh, dialectic language goes away the higher, the more education there is. And so the, the uh, data set from engineers becomes smaller and smaller in, in some ways and doesn't get the outliers that aren't outliers are actually you know, localized uh high points so i have to get my uh i have to get my masters to get rid of my boston accent it's um... <laughs> i've been working hard on my philadelphia accent and i've been living in the new england area for long far longer than i lived in philadelphia <laughs> but but how how is it when you go to philadelphia do they they say oh you still have a philly accent no they say Listen to that New England accent you've got. I know they do. They do. <laughs> they, they think I sound funny. <laughs> they're, they're going going back to speech recognition. Uh, just uh, wanted to bring it up before we we drifted much further from that. Um, there, there's also the the matter of speech recognition uh, accuracy in general versus real time speech recognition. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it, 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 even just to take a like modern example, go to YouTube and turn on closed captions uh, and, and see what, what mm -hmm. it produces. It is passable. So I would say like maybe 80% accurate, uh, but it definitely falters, especially when, when, you, when you cover like domain specific terms uh, that, that are not part of the, of the general vocabulary. It, it 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 does a very good guess, and um, and when you when you look at what it actually produces, it, it there's certainly a phonetic similarity. It, it's really just not the right word, however, and that's the big problem with speech recognition and, and just natural language processing in general. Homonyms, it falls down on homonyms. <laughs> oh yeah, that's one way to go. But anyhow, back to <laughs> back to continuous. I, I mean, some of some of what we, you know, going back from AI, I think, you know, and this to me is the brilliance of Kubernetes is the reconciliation pattern is, is really, really simple from that perspective. It's like, this is my desired state. I have simple rules to, you know, check, monitor and, and update from that. And, um, and it, yeah. And it, and it also gets the user control over, over the boundary conditions. Like you, you, you can define your health checks 
you you can define mm-hmm. you, you your scaling rules let's say like okay like like if the if the pods are out of state with the with the deployment definition what are my rolling release uh procedures or or do i want to do a b or or, or canary i i have the, the ability to to specify that in a pluggable architecture I think you just identified something I hadn't thought of in in this whole model, which includes some of these some standardization around a health check or a drain instruction or a you know some some type of you know the included behavior that I think becomes necessary for us to to go down this path faster. Um, is to be able to say, all right, yes, I, every I, I need to do these systems but you know you know Beth was saying yes on the drain which i think makes a ton of sense but you need to be able to say all right what if my drain isn't working you know you have to have sort of these layers of pre and post conditions on the op- the, the operations to make it all work and then coordinate it with other the other work that's going on yeah. um and this is also where we're, where much of the debate about Kubernetes comes from like there's the people who've embraced Kubernetes and they have their workload that is Kubernetes friendly. And then there's people who have legacy workloads. And they have very specific setups because that is what they've built up in order to maintain their infrastructure, and, that, and which is just not compatible with Kubernetes. And, and, and that's where, where the clash comes from. Like it, it, it's not a silver bullet uh, because you can't just lift and shift on, onto onto your container orchestration, orchestration from what you have uh, in in all cases. Um, but it it does give a very clear set of rules saying like if you the de- de- design your application in this way and deploy it on Kubernetes, then you will have a good time. That makes me think like the chef and pa- and puppet patterns of like the continual, uh, you know, because they would do this, they would do not what I would consider continuous infrastructure automation because it's really continuous configuration um, or reasserting configuration states over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, that's, but that's different to me. It doesn't, it doesn't doesn't feel the same and maybe it should from that oh and and you were you were talking about like kubernetes you know mapping to kubernetes in some ways mapping to this pattern we're gonna have to design applications that are continuous automate automation friendly yeah absolutely okay if if your application design is is not friendly for that then it, it becomes much more difficult anything that's stateful i mean you can automate it but you you it's an order of magnitude more difficult at least um yeah and, and yeah uh, i mean i would i would consider like the chef and puppet like the con- uh, configuration aut- automation to be precursors of infrastructure automation i don't think we have proper infrastructure automation yet it, i would like to see it do, mm-hmm. and something like chef or puppet for infrastructure what we have right now is on-demand 
reconciliation when we when we use terraform or pulumi or, or something like that but what 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 i think we're missing is the continuous aspect something that uh that checks for dress uh and, and has the clear rules for amending it or if 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 something falls outside of the boundary of the rules that it can handle then at, at least alert about it so would that be beyond like you know, I, I change a profile, I up a up or down a resource count, and then it goes and does that. You're saying part of it, part of what we'd want would be the chef or puppet esque, you know, review the environment and enforce, you know, and conform and enforce. Yes, drift management. But that's okay. drift management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which is what yeah, we have is yeah, prevent drifting checks. on this list. Yeah, yeah. Well, drift oh. management is is definitely a big problem. Uh, and I will tell you, it, it's particularly in spades uh, in edge environments. Yeah. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's not just a matter of of drift management in, in the sense of infrastructure that you want has gone away, but it's also infrastructure that you used to want and don't need anymore, and it's still there consuming resources. Would would it be helpful? No, I, well, I, I like where this is like. Well, I like where this is going. Part of what I've assumed from a drift management perspective is is an immutability story where what you're doing is not fixing things that are drifting, but you're just always rolling the environment, right? It's right that that would be part of drift management would be literally coming back through and saying, you know what, I'm just going to keep reprovisioning these systems or resetting them and, and rejoining the cluster on a regular basis. I, um, I, I would say that particularly with the, with, with the cloud, it's, it is no longer beneficial to look at infrastructure as immutable. It used to be when you were run, when running just one or a handful of servers in, in your own data center, because the the time to bring new infrastructure in, in into your environment was months or or, or, or years depending on your budget. Um, so, but but now with, with cloud, we we've uh, we reduced the size of what we consider infrastructure. So it, instead of dealing with uh, uh, Trying to take real world. Uh, well, that's that's right? the disaggregate cost. That's disaggregation, right? That's the whole purpose yeah. of disaggregate hardware di and software disaggregation. Yeah, which is and and in the data center, I've always treated that the unit within the data center and and Rob, I got this from you. Is it should be the rack? If the rack disappears, mm -hmm. everything still runs because you just roll it a new rack. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and yeah, it, it, and it's a matter of scale, right? Like it, I mean, when 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 you when you run a small data center, you your unit might be the the VMs because right. every, because your rack is immutable. When you run a an, a data center that the size of, of of Amazon, then of course the the rack is the rack is, is, is your yeah. your most atomic component because it it should be cattle at that point. Right, that's exactly right. Yeah, at the edge. I mean, I, I, you know, I treat mm. the edge for the most part. The unit is going to be a 
is a is a box. Um, but it, right. and and but in the core, you know, in AWS, it's definitely the rack. Would would you on an edge site say that you would then have two or three? Like, do you need resiliency or redundancy to allow this type of a process? Or we typically do, yeah. Um, customers typically buy, you know, with our universal CP, most customers get two yeah. um, for resiliency. And then that that gives you the bandwidth, the the capacity to do a upgrade and swap. Right. That's exactly right. Um, and Which frequently is, it's associated with um, certain paired circuits too. So it might be a diverse circuit. So if when the circuits goes down, you know. Uh, would, would that then become the upgrade or patch story? Because it's, it's. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. yeah, you're literally just doing a reroll of a unit. Mm-hmm. And then you have redundancy. So if something goes wrong, you have, you still have a foot in the, in the. At the place right, right and we typically have uh what we call a t-lock which is basically a cable connecting the two together yeah. right. but then then you have to have logic that says something didn't work here don't you know block out the environment now we're back to the health check scenario it's like yeah oh, we have to have rollbacks yeah yeah totally and we do typically we do a snapshot before we do an upgrade okay. do the upgrade and you know if and we can, if if the upgrade fails, you can roll back. But you still have, and you do one box at a time. <laughs> right. And then how do you test? So the other thing that, that I always think of with this is that it also means that we're going to have to build API drift into the systems that we're doing these continuous provisions on, right? So, right, you, you, you're like, oh, I'm... I've got a, you know one of my cluster, you know, ultimately 100%, but it's at version one. You're rolling forward on that. Then version two is coming at the same, you know, coming right behind that conceivably. And then version three, and you're, you're literally moving, you, you've got this API drift or, you know, this yeah. integration drift. Um, well, I remember this uh, being a big issue with OpenStack. Um, and, you know, there's still... I'm sure tons of OpenStack environments out there that are stuck at one version or another because it, because it's just an enormous lift to, to do a rolling upgrade. Oh yeah, no, and that's that has to be. Now we're back to the the whole concept of you, you better build from this this from the start. Yeah, and and I'm just gonna add also that I I don't really fault the this automation still missing uh, for infrastructure because it's it's a new problem really it's only within the past decade that we started to to make our infrastructure more mutable uh, or, or really more ephemeral um, so, so it, it's something that's going that I see evolving over the next decade um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a new problem. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and the people that are working on solving it are in specific places because of the barrier to entry to to be in a situation where it matters. Wait, Can you expand on that? I'm, it's not I'm... like it's not like Linux drivers, right? Where 
you know, you can buy a Raspberry Pi for 10 bucks. I've worked on a, a driver, but if you're talking about these cascading systems, really, how do you how do you home lab that where you can have a hundred thousand people that are interested in that problem? Mm. Yeah, it's uh, unless you're in in a system that has a huge mm -hmm. uh, footprint, you're not going to have. Uh, insight into the issues because you can you can prepare for anything you can think of but it's all that stuff you can't think of that happens in the very large uh, systems that make the difference and so it's a small community when it comes down to that and each of these large cloud providers have grown up in mostly isolation and have their own processes and their own hand-rolled custom automation <laughs> and whatnot. So there are no standards yet. Oh my goodness. That is, it's to me, part of the, this thing would be having more reusable automation components, right? Because, yep. right. I mean, we, we deal with those all the time, but the, everybody automates their you know, uh, physical infrastructure. It's what comes to mind here. But it's it's pretty much the same servers. It's pretty much the same processes. It's the they're ninety nine point seven percent the same. Um, it's actually a problem in general. It's it we and we've had conversations about this. It is so hard to patch and test automation itself from that. Yeah. Like this, like this isn't even the code. Like how do you know that the automation that you like you patch the automation and now it's going to you know, what's the old stuff going to do? What's the new stuff going to do? How do you know that you, you didn't break something in the previous? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we had a similar topic about this uh, last year about the uh, uh, CI for CI. CI for CI. When, yeah. when, 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 you, when you update your, your pipelines, how do you ensure that you don't break things? Yeah, we, we had, we have, I mean, remember, we wrote a lot of our own orchestration tools because um, when we, <laughs> when we built our products, the orchestration tools didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will tell you, there were some super painful upgrades um, involving having to take boxes down and having people go out to the edge to load it up onto the box. We couldn't even do it yeah. remotely. Been there, done that, out in the middle of a, a zero degree temperature in a car. A truck port on the truck, downloading software onto the system, spending yeah. you know multiple nights in the cold and frozen, and, and, and other what nights in the heat and humidity of Georgia in the summer. Mm, my condolences. <laughs> and yeah, you know, like was, Beth says, we're still we're still to the point where, especially for Edge, whether yeah. it's a cloud or not, there's still you have to go in there and hand touch it because anything fails, especially in the network. And the only way to oh, get yeah. there is personally. So, I mean, from those experiences, right. How is there a thread that causes stuff like that to break? Like, I mean, networking clearly like so easy to break networking. I mean, how do we, how do 
the defending because I can easily see. Let me let me be try and be specific. I can easily see thinking that you're fixing the automation that builds the environment or patches the environment, rolling that change out, and then having that up the automation break the systems because you change the automation. Yeah, well, one hopes that we catch that sort of thing in, you know, during testing, but um, which we have, um, but, you know, it's the upgrade process of the automation that caused us to, oh, the only way to get to the system, remember, this is the orchestrator shim that's, you know, um, the only way to do it was to physically touch the box, which is very expensive. Uh, and, you know, it, it's a hard problem. I mean, it, it's it's not something that, that even Google has solved. They've had their uh, their share of outages due to automation. Um, yeah, but at least they're in a data center class. <laughs> they, well, that depends. Yeah. Uh, I know that Microsoft has sunk uh, the uh, containers, uh, shipping containers, down into like, deep waters and are running remotely from the deep waters and if that fails their unit their field replaceable unit is a shipping container yeah 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 but at least it's one (laughs) shipping container well as long as they only had the failure in the one since they have a cluster down there but as long as they yeah don't do everything at once it can be just one Yeah, no, it's these are these are the, the interesting thing that we got to on this to me and uh, that just out of time is yeah. the automation itself is a is a versioned living component of these systems, right? So it's not just hey, I've got something that's that's rolling over all the time and I'm building automation to keep my system going, which I think we've identified challenges with that. It, the, it, the automation that you use to do that is also going to be changing over time. Yeah. The, yeah. There are a, a lot of equivalents between infrastructure management and database schema management. Yeah. Yeah. And Cause you can't, it's very hard to go backwards. Yeah. Yep. And you'll find that uh, one of the things that Amdahl was renowned for back in the day when they were doing in some ways you could call it hardware virtual machines is they would, always ship machines with at least two domains. Uh, But they preferred to ship with three and have three running whatever the current one is and having a fourth as a test. Because Mm. the fourth one as a test could always be reset remotely and and rebuilt from the other three. Whereas if you just have two, you can't really rebuild from the one because there's all sorts of things. So you have to have your test infrastructure as part of your repl- your field replaceable unit so that you can do this automation and when things fail, fix it and roll, uh, roll forward again. Oh, there's a lot to think about. <laughs> yep. I, I, this was, this was great. I, I, you know, the more I learn about some of these topics, the more more we have more more I realize we have to build. But and I have to drop too. But yeah, <laughs> thank Thanks, you. Everybody. This has been a great conversation. I will 
I will try to come as much as, as often as I can. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Looking forward Great. to talking to you. Yeah. See everybody. Fantastic. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye, folks. Continuous infrastructure automation is near and dear to my heart. Uh, our customers that follow this methodology see tremendous returns, um, and it protects them from things like malware and you know being able to reliably build and provision and get systems up and running, uh, what they call repaving uh, in their, their infrastructure. And it's a really important concept. I hope that you will come back and join us at the cloud, at the 2030.cloud uh, for additional conversations. We will keep going back to this. Uh, it is an important topic and something that is near and dear to building resilient infrastructure, which we all care about. And thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.